Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans. Welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We're uh, your complete cards coverage podcast here on the web. And wherever you're at, whether that's in the Arizona area, in Oregon, or all the way around the world. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, my name is Blake Murphy on Twitter at Blake Murphy seven. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, the venerable John venerable Johnny. How are you doing tonight? And are the throes of celebrating a Cardinals win for the first time all season and the first in the cliff Kyler era. Yeah, I'm doing well, Blake. It is an exciting time locking up their first victory of the season. That being the Arizona Cardinals in my opinion, it was an unexpected win. I, I didn't think that they would have um, the kind of mentality needed to go on an East Coast time zone. Yes, Cincinnati technically is on East Coast time and secure a victory at 10 a.m. And I'll give them credit, even though it was the Bengals, you never apologize for an NFL win, especially on the road with a rookie head coach and quarterback. And uh, exciting times, I think it'll alleviate a lot of pressure that this team was facing even five games into the season, and I like where they're headed right now. Agree. We said, and I don't think that it was ever called a must-win game by the team, but it was referred to by some as a don't-lose game because a loss would then put a lot of doubt, a lot of issues. And ultimately, John, this is a team that the Cardinals should have beaten. It was just a question of whether or not they were going to. Cardinals look now like a team somewhat on the rise. They're still obviously quite a number of issues. We'll get into some of those. There is clearly when you're a team that only wins by a game winning field goal, despite six trips into the red zone, one field goal to take away from it. Now, granted the last play of the game doesn't exactly count for that matter. But again, we still were seeing some of those poor decisions in the red zone, some poor plays. And that's part of what allowed the Bengals to come back around. It was almost, in my opinion, a mirror image of the Detroit game but on the other foot, instead of the Cardinals being able to deliver, it was the Bengals who tied up at the end of the game. Fortunately, they scored too soon. The Cardinals were able to march down the field. And all the people are talking about, for the most part, is how game was on the line. Cardinals had to come away with getting points on the board or they would go to overtime. The Bengals had all of the momentum. And yet Kyler Murray drove the team down the field with his arm of huge pass completion to David Johnson and with his legs on a 24-yard scramble that all but ended the game. Zane Gonzalez kicks the field goal, 
And the Cardinals won one. Uh, it's a huge and emotional week we'll be able to talk about as well with the passing of Bill Bidwell, the Cardinals patriarch, Michael's father, and the longtime owner of the Arizona, Chicago, and St. Louis Cardinals. So a lot to get into for all of that. Let's start kind of with what were your first impressions overall, John, just breaking into the game. It started right from the get-go with the Bengals. Just their run attack was rushing downfield toward the Cardinals. They really didn't look like they were going to be stopped for a while, and then the Cardinals were able to adjust, come back, and hold up enough. What were some of your thoughts on that first quarter and how the game got off to a somewhat rocky start for Arizona? Yeah, the Cardinals had a quick three and out, punted to Cincinnati, and Cincinnati proceeded to run the ball ultra-effectively on that first drive. You saw Joe Mixon, I think, put together somewhere in the neighborhood of 60-plus yards alone on that first drive, but much like the Cardinals, the Bengals struggle in the red zone, and they had to settle for a field goal, and then it was the Cardinals' turn to come back and play aggressive football. The Cardinals marched down the field and took a fourth-and-two opportunity within the the five-yard line, and Kyler Murray had the uh, snap under center, gave a great play fake to David Johnson, and ran it into the end zone. From there, I really think they set the tone for the rest of the game. Like, this is the kind of game we know we have to win. We know we have to score touchdowns, especially on the road. We're not going to play ultra-conservative like you've seen in previous weeks because now there's a sense of urgency with this team. And then the defense adjusted. They did a tremendous job up until the fourth quarter of containing the Bengal offense. Joe, uh, Joe Mixon had roughly, I think, 30 yards rushing the remainder of the game. Um, still effective, 93 yards on 19 carries. But at the same time, you know, uh, from roughly quarter number two moving forward, he didn't do much of anything. Uh, the Cardinal defense, I think, played one of their better games of the season, in, especially amongst the defensive line. I think the group of... Jonathan Bullard, who, by the way, has been a, a really nice pickup for this team off of waivers. Rodney Gunter, I believe, had a 90-plus rating uh, via pro football focus. Probably his, I feel comfortable saying, his best game as a pro. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Corey Peters, who was always solid. They kind of controlled the tempo throughout the duration of this game. And once Hassan Reddick and, and Jordan Hicks started to fill the hole um, and, and keep their gap integrity, highlighted, of course, by Hassan Reddick's play on fourth and one stuffing Andy Dalton I really think that the Cardinals felt like they could be in a position to control the tempo of this game and you know the Cardinals dominated time of possession they dominated total yards they had 500 plus yards for the first time since 2017 Um, they were super effective running the football we'll talk about the two back set that they've incorporated with David Johnson and Chase Edmonds but it's just funny to me that the game in which they don't have um, really their best outside receiver in Christian Kirk, they go heavy with the ground attack. Murray was phenomenal, both passing and throwing, accumulating roughly 340 yards. But in my opinion, it was the, the tone setters up front on both sides, which has been the biggest struggle for this team, Blake, making a difference. The offensive line, give them credit, much maligned throughout the duration of this season, put together – a phenomenal running game that saw the Cardinals rush for 266 yards, seven yards per carry. And I get it. A lot of people want to push back and say, you know, Kyler Murray had a lot of that, 93 yards on only 10 attempts. Yeah, that might skew the numbers, but even if you take that out, the Cardinals still rush for over 150 yards. They have a high yards per carry average. And you know what? The Cardinals knew what they were getting in Kyler Murray. This is the kind of football they had signed up for. It would enable them to be more effective on the ground game. When you have a quarterback like this, things open up for you. 
And so I, I give credit. I give credit to DJ Humphreys, who I've been critical of. J.R. Sweezy had a phenomenal game. And then Max Williams, who we've talked about, has been a top five t- tight end in terms of a blocking tight end in pro football this year. They were able to really push around a Bengal defensive line that's got some significant names on there. Geno Atkins, um, Carlos Dunlop is, is a really nice player. Sam Hubbard from Ohio State's a nice player. So the Cardinals really set the tone from you know their second drive moving forward and were able to hold on. Now, the defense faltered toward the back end of this game, but I, I think most of us, Blake, and you can share your opinion, felt comfortable even after that touchdown to tie the game up at 23, that the offensive line, Kyler Murray, would be able to put together some kind of a scoring drive because of how well they, they had moved the ball up until that point. And we knew they didn't have to get a touchdown. They could get a field goal, and that's what ended up being the game winner. So I, I think that you never apologize for any kind of win, especially on the road. And to be able to have this kind of performance where you didn't rely on takeaways, you didn't rely really on your special teams, you put together 500-plus yards of offense, that is a big-time development for a team that has been so horrifically challenged offensively really for the last several years. And we're starting to see this team take an upward turn going from the bottom of the barrel statistically across the board. They sit now entering week six as the 17th-ranked offense and even more alarming or you know historic for this team, they're 11th in rushing. For this team, <laughs> that's phenomenal. Yeah, the Cardinals have never been known at all for any type of uh, rushing attack, even with their in the days of Emmett Smith, even with the days of Beanie Wells. It was these flukes that you would have, and now granted this is one game, but we've still seen this development over time of, Car- of the Cardinals with Cliff Kingsbury understanding more and more of becoming comfortable with the idea of Kyler as a runner after the first two weeks and also especially in the development of moving two players out of roles that maybe they're most comfortable and confident in in David Johnson and Chase Edmonds into better roles that suit where the offense is. David Johnson was the team's leading receiver. He had three catches for 65 yards, averaged about 21 yards per catch. What's fantastic about that is when you look at the Bengals coming and we talk, the left side of their secondary is pretty leaky. It's given up a number of yards. And the Cardinals, like you said, were missing Christian Kirk. And we've talked about they just do not have a solid wide receiver on the outside on this roster. We didn't see anything more than a few snaps from Andy Isabella. They clearly seem to not have a comfort or trust level with him there yet. So what does Cliff Kingsbury do? He takes David Johnson's elite receiving skill, is able to move that outside, and is able to generate some big plays down the field um, to be able to make use of the player. And then on the other end, you're you're looking at Chase Edmonds averaging almost nine yards a carry. He only got eight rushes in the game, but one of them, the one that counted, was essentially at the time it seemed like the dagger to the Bengals on a 37-yard kind of an inside zone. We got the guard pulling around to the outside well-blocked, well-designed. He just needed to make one man miss on a cut, and he was gone. It was a definite demonstration of maybe not a true changing of the guard in Arizona, but it did show that as far as when it comes to the skill sets that each of the backs have, there's definite roles for putting David Johnson in space, and there's definite roles for that explosion and speed where you want to see Chase Edmonds more. So maybe it's kind of a weird way to say it, John, but do you think that Chase Edmonds should be the Cardinals' number one running back as it is right now, or was this more of just a sign of a two-headed monster in an essence, at least continuing to use David Johnson as a runner? 
Yeah, why can't they play both? Um, I think David Johnson is the unquestioned starter. I think the people dogging on him right now, I, I get it. Your opinion is valid. He's been a little bit hesitant to run like he used to. Maybe he doesn't possess that skill set, but you know what he does possess? The ability to be one of the best all-around backs in the National Football League, and I would still argue the best receiving back in all of football. You, com- you combine that with Chase Edmonds' ability to move laterally, the explosiveness, You've got a pretty dangerous combination, and why can't this be a poor man's version of Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram? You know, the comparison I was I was thinking about the other day was D'Angelo Williams, Jonathan Stewart. You've got an inside runner. You've got an outside runner. Neither one of those guys were the pass catchers that David and Chase Edmonds are, but there have been a lot of great two-back tandems in this league, and a lot of the similarities is you'd have a quarterback who is also mobile, and so... I don't think it's an either-or kind of thing. I think it's like, hey, the Cardinals just had their most successful offensive game in terms of, in terms of yardage, first downs, in s- multiple seasons. Let's move forward with this until we feel like we have a, a, a confidence, because they don't right now in their receiving core. They have issues, that being Sherfield and Johnson, separating. They have issues with drops. Kyler Murray put a phenomenal ball right on the money to Keyshawn Johnson that would have set the team up inside the five on third down, and he dropped it, right? There was another play in which either it was Sherfield or Johnson didn't come out of their break hard enough, and, and Murray sailed a touch, sure touchdown pass to them on the outside. Yeah, Sherfield was the one I remember where it was supposed to be that you think of the Josh Rosen throw that he threw that was only in a place Chad Williams could catch it. It was tight yeah. coverage. Sherfield ran down, didn't come back for the ball as hard. Whatever the route concept was supposed to be, uh, I think he was thinking it was inside shoulder or not back shoulder fade. It was something that he was essentially open in the end zone. It was just the throw was not where either was expecting it to be. And Murray did look upset after the play for the most part. So the the red zone, as we've talked about, John, and we can continue to talk about this, it's continued to be an issue for this team. And is that due, do you think, more of the talent level? How much of this is the play calling? I know there was a play in particular Cliff did get a little bit of flack for from the national media. Well, I I, I think that that's – Listen, people who rip this team because they're not producing in the red zone didn't watch this team last year. The people who watch and are invested in this team know how much progress they've made in a matter of games. I mean, it it is phenomenal to turn around. I I put this on Twitter. Who did the Cardinals add to this team outside of Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury? Nobody. Nobody of of note. Everybody was here last year. It's, for the most part, the same offensive line. You You could argue they're a little bit worse at right tackle. Sure, some of the guys are healthy, but they were healthy to start the season last year. They didn't put up anything like this. It's David Johnson, who's a year older, Fitzgerald, who's a year older, and you've got some spare parts, and Christian Kirk's out. And they put up over 500 yards, and they're running the football better than they ever have. So I think it's a, it's a lazy take by people who want to bring down Kingsbury, who have an agenda against Murray and his size. Listen, at the end of the day, do they have to be, get better? Absolutely. But I think that there's an increased sense of urgency for them to improve just because of how often they get into the red zone. They had six opportunities on on Sunday, only converted one touchdown. I put an asterisk next to that because the, the sixth and final opportunity, they only needed a field goal. So it's not like they were playing for a touchdown there. They ran the clock out and, and kicked the game winner. But I, I, I think you're right. Play. I think it's a combination of things. Kingsbury, this is his fifth NFL game, so let's pump the brakes on he needs to be Andy Reid in, in the red zone. And then number two, yeah, it's, it's probably personnel. 
Um, the offensive line has been slow to start the season. I would, I would think that they're going to take more of an approach where they're going to uh, utilize a lot of read option, maybe play a little bit more smash mouth now that they're having success running the football. Their receivers have, have trouble winning one-on-one. There's, there's no doubt about it. Even Larry Fitzgerald has, has issues separating at this point in his career, and if the ball isn't perfect, he's not going to be able to bring it down. So, again, you, you talk about adding players this offseason that can help you, maybe a big-body receiving tight end, certainly another outside receiver in the draft. That, that's going to make all the difference. I also think, you know, the maturation of Kirk and Murray and some of these young players in this offense, certainly, you know, I, I just banged on Keyshawn Johnson. I did think he played well. He, he's a physical young player. This kind of thing takes time. It's, it's game number five, and I'm, it's, it's crazy to me that people are so critical of their red zone inefficiencies because of where they were last year. Would you rather them not be efficient offensively to even get to the red zone? Because that's what we experienced – all of last season. Now they're at least moving the football. They're accumulating yards. I think they're like 16th in total yards this year. That That's phenomenal. When you think about some of the offenses that are in the NFL, some of the quarterbacks they're ahead of in terms of total yards. Uh, again, I, I think it'll get cleaned up. There's opportunities on the schedule right now with some of the defenses that they play to get it right. Um, and of course, Murray would tell you, he'd be the first one to say he'd probably expect to have more than four passing touchdowns at this point. But, you know, he's getting them in a position to, to be successful. they got to cut down the penalties. A lot of them have been ticky-tack across the league. That's, that's not an excuse. That's a fact. And they have to be more efficient in their play calling and their, and their you know, their ability to separate. But I, I think this, this maturation of the Cardinal running game that we're seeing with the two-back set will only help them in the red zone. Agreed, John. And the other thing that's fascinating is the Cardinals are right now just outside the top 10 in rushing and – Part of that you can talk about is even we haven't seen all of Chase Edmonds yet, and we haven't seen all of Kyler Murray running the football for five games. We saw him essentially not run at all through the first two games of the season. Since then, he's uh, over 200 yards rushing, and you know he's leading the league in quarterback rushing yards, which is interesting considering that Lamar Jackson is in the league. So it's very possible that the Cardinals are taking advantage, and this is something that we talked about to begin the year. If you're going to be running an offense that is going to be featuring a lot of runs out of the shotgun, using play action, being able to use a running threat like Kyler Murray, who's going to require a quarterback spy. And with the ability that Cliff Kingsbury has shown to be able to run the football and spread teams out by having three wide receivers, four wide receivers, even at a time, um, or even as they used this last game, they used a lot more of the tight end. They had a lot more 11 personnel, a lot more 12 personnel, and maybe it's some of that is just integration with the Denver Broncos, their offensive line coach coming in to help some. But it's very possible the Cardinals are going to realize, okay, the passing game, we don't have the receivers to run this 10 personnel all season long. They certainly did not with Christian Kirk out for the game. Is it something where the Cardinals may have a top 10 rushing team by the end of the year? Because that's not what we expected at all from the air raid. But this is one thing of the maturation where it shows that Cliff Kingsbury not necessarily is a pure going to throw it 80 times a game air raid guy he's shown the ability to run the football and right now he's running it effectively that adaptation is at least very encouraging to me overall John because every single week it feels like the Cardinals are taking a little bit of a step forward and that honestly is good because it's not like you're seeing the same type of 
either stuck in the mud, stubbornness, um, committing, hey, why is it that you're, you know, again, throwing four times in a row in the red zone there? You are at least seeing a lot of changes. The biggest development I saw overall was Cliff went for it on fourth down early in the game in a spot where it was very risky. He was rewarded with a touchdown for it. Hopefully that gives you confidence moving forward for him and the team to be able to take a lot more of those highly beneficial calls. And it does feel like you're almost watching like a kid grow up in front of your eyes just because each week we've gone in, there's been more and more positives that we've been able to have essentially about this team and their offense. Now the defense we'll talk about because that's a different story, but the offense at least is growing. The quarterback is growing and that's at least a lot of positives for, for Cardinals fans. I mean, this week, Kyler Murray pro football focus rated him with a 90 grade. That's essentially 90 and above is elite second highest grade of any quarterback in the National Football League for this week. John, I, I couldn't remember the last time a Cardinal had a game that was in the 90s overall from Pro Football Focus, much less to have it be their quarterback. It's been such a long time since that. Yeah, and it goes to show you, too, that, that touchdowns on everything, right? I, I, Deshaun Watson, I think, had four or five passing touchdowns, and, and Murray ranked ahead of them, and I think that – that's part of his maturation process. That's that's how quickly he's adapted to the to the pro level. I don't think really any of us look at him like a true rookie anymore. I was reminiscing with a with a fan the other day and just saying I don't I don't remember a Cardinal rookie who has been this good this fast. I mean, he's completed over sixty percent of his throws in all but one game. That was the opener. They were asking him to pass fifty four times, forty times, forty three times in the first three games. That that's not a recipe to win with a young quarterback like this when you had no running game. And so these last two weeks, he's he's been on the dot thirty two attempts. His completion percentage in both games is is right around sixty five on average. And he's thrown for right around 250 yards, and he's mixing it up with between 60 and 90 yards rushing. That's right where he needs to be. And he's only been sacked five times, including once this past week. And I think that part of the reason they want to make sure that the ground game is there is to, to alleviate a lot of that pressure off Murray, especially when you talk about the liability that, that is right tackle and Justin Murray. So, uh, again, I, I think they like where this offense is headed, and maybe the Kirk injury has, has forced them to be a little bit more – run heavy, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, the running game is, is a quarterback's best friend. You look at a lot of the, the great rookie quarterback seasons that we've seen over the course of the last five to ten years. You go back to Dak Prescott's rookie season a few years back, and, and he and Zeke accumulated many, many yards on the ground. Zeke, I think, was the offensive rookie of the year, or was co-offensive rookie of the year with Dak. Um, you talk about Russell Wilson's early seasons with, with Marshawn Lynch. It was a run-heavy team. I'm not saying that the Cardinals are going to become a predominantly run-heavy team. They still throw the ball far more than Russell Wilson or Dak Prescott did in their first mm -hmm. you know, couple seasons. But I will say that the balance that this gives you is an opportunity to see outings like we saw on Sunday with the big-time yardage. The Cardinals, to me, have an opportunity now moving forward. Again, I mentioned the, the weakness of the schedule. You get the Atlanta Falcons. You get the New York Giants. See some of the teams down the line, the Steelers, the Browns. There's going to be opportunities for this team to put up a lot of points. Um, it just – we need to see the next step taken. But, I mean, how can you, how can you not be excited about the development that this offense has taken? Yeah, it's exciting. One of the things that we can talk about that has been an interesting development has been the play of the offensive line. Uh, after the eight-sack game against the Panthers, you still saw a few sacks last week. I know there was at least one or two that were on Murray, but what was most interesting kind of that we've seen has been how 
the quarterback, there's been sacks get up. The one sack was essentially one where they overloaded one side. Murray tried to get away. A second guy was there waiting for him. It was a well-timed blitz by the Bengals. But Murray hasn't really been hurried as much. I know that's where there's some stats, at least with next-gen stats, they're looking at the QB hurry probability. Uh, The team with the lowest amount is the Indianapolis Colts. 9% of the time, at least, was the expected hurry rate allowed within three seconds. Cardinals were the second lowest right ahead of the New England Patriots, the San Francisco 49ers, and the Green Bay Packers. What's crazy about this, John, is that the Cardinals, from all we've talked about, are not a team that you typically would associate with any of those other four teams and their offensive lines. You talk about the Niners with all of the resources they've put in, the Packers with David Bakhtiari and Brian Balaga, the Patriots always are consistent, and the Colts with the likes of Anthony Costanzo and Quentin Nelson. So with the Cardinals being this area, I think some of it obviously has to do with their scheme with what Cliff is running is essentially not allowing teams to be able to stack up and overload the box. They're running the ball at a pretty good clip. I think part of it also is the fact that teams are not able to completely rush up field to get to the Cardinals because they know that Murray could burn them with the, his legs. They're kind of playing him maybe a bit cautiously in that sense, uh, just because he is such a threat. But how much do you think this is just the development of the offensive line, the play of guys like Humphreys, the interior of the line with Pugh, Shipley, and their, uh, their right, ta- right guard, I should say, in J.R. Sweezy. And even with Justin Murray on the right side, uh, I don't know how much, as far as if you could say liability, I do think he probably is the largest one, but the line played well against the Bengals. Now, granted, this is the Cincinnati Bengals that may be a team that ends up with a top three pick in the draft this upcoming season. It just right. Good half empty stadium, but this is a five game sample size. This has been pretty clear that whatever we talked about beforehand, that Cliff Kingsbury did a good job of being able to help with pressure and being able to negotiate that in college. It seems to have at least so far followed him into the NFL. And if Kyler can avoid taking sacks, John, if you take out all of the sacks that are accredited to Murray, Cardinals offensive line play as far as sacks given up hasn't been nearly as bad. It's been when they've been in those late game, uh, kind of the down and having to throw every down. This game, the Cardinals were able to get up early with a 7-3 lead off that gamble. They're able to run the football better as a result. And it was almost like we got to see what the Cardinals have wanted to be in games, at least, where there really wasn't that same type of all-out pressure scenarios that we've seen or the teams being able to get pressure with four on Murray. He did an excellent job negating the rush as well. And I, I don't know, what are some of your thoughts on how the offensive line is? Has this been a room of growth for the team? Have we been falsely maligning them? Or is this more of just kind of pushing off some of the inevitable to you? Well, I think it's a combination of things. They got to the point where they were able to run downhill. And you hear that, you hear that term thrown around a lot in the NFL, but it's true. I mean, you start to have confidence and Murray's ability to escape the rush and, you know, pick up yards as a runner is so demoralizing for defense. We see it every year when we play Russell Wilson and the Seahawks twice a year. And, and that'll get your guys fired up. Uh, when you think there's a dead play and your offensive line is missing an assignment, if you look at the, the final play of the game right before the kick or the, the play before Murray's long scramble, Shipley was beat and there was a free runner, and Murray uh, evaded him and, and picked up that, that big gain in, in route to the winning field goal. I mean, that's demoralizing for a defense. But what I will say 
is that the, the unit has stayed, knock on wood, fairly healthy compared to years prior. Um, Murray is the only addition on the line, and he's been starting six, since week one. This was his fifth game. Um, now, Jordan Mills, we should note, went on IR with a, with a knee injury. So it's Justin Murray at right tackle from mm-hmm. here on out. Um, so he's a second-year player. Hopefully he'll continue to develop. Um, but they haven't had Marcus Gilbert. Uh, the Cardinals, outside of that, they've got their other four starters that they wanted to have going into this season. Uh, huge, huge credit to, to Steve Kime. We, we dog on him a lot in this podcast. He brought in J.R. Sweezy. I thought that was mm-hmm. a throwaway signing. He has been their best offensive lineman to date, not including the tight end position. Yep. And they kept A.Q. Shipley is another thing. They did yep. keep A.Q. Shipley. Although I, I, w- I will say he does have the lowest grade uh, across the line, and I would like to see Mason Cole get a shot at that eventually. That'll probably be next year. But the two standouts to me, Blake, are Humphreys and Sweezy. They are their two, mm-hmm. if you want to say impact players, I will, I will say slightly above average, and that's a good place to be for the Cardinals considering where they were a year ago. This is a group that has a chance to be steady middle of the pack, which is, which is where they needed to be. And then you talk about the inclusion of both tight ends who have played well. Max Williams especially has a pro football focus grade of 78.6, which is fantastic. So you know he's got limited receiving options, and he does come down with difficult passes when he's thrown to. But that shows you primarily that's, that's done from, from a run-blocking standpoint. He brings a nastiness up front that this team was sorely lacking and then I'll give DJ Humphreys credit. He's stayed healthy for five games, and he has a pass-blocking grade of 74. And that would put him, I would say, in the top half of the NFL for left tackles. And, you know, we always considered him more of a run blocker. But at the end of the day, if he's putting up that kind of number, you're really going to have to consider maybe bringing him back next year out of necessity because of the position. But if this unit stays healthy for the rest of the season, they will play – um, capable football just because you get better as a unit taking reps together. And so I, I will give them all the credit in the world. Justin Pugh was, um, you know, not doubtful last week, but he had uh, a nagging bug that, that he got over and was able to play. And I, I give him credit for that. He's still been a little bit disappointing. Uh, and I do think we'll see Mason Cole before the end of the year. But as of right now, anytime you put up over 200 yards rushing, you get a big tip of the cap from me, especially only giving up one sack in the process. Yes, definitely. The uh, and, and this is where I think we can always look at with the team moving forward as they are going to have a bit of a tougher challenge with some of their teams ahead with the, the schedule getting tougher. In some cases, it gets really tough because you're going to be playing the San Francisco 49ers who look like they have a excellent pass rush, which was to be expected after the additions that they made to DeForest Buckner, adding another few key players in Nick Bosa and D Ford. But you're also going to be talking about some games that on the back end might be a little bit easier for this team, which I think is important because what you're talking about right now, John, isn't necessarily trying to go for it now. It's all about building blocks for the future. Now, one of the blocks they do need to build from last year is the defense. The defense, for the most part, seemed to get a bit weak at first. They tightened things up, at least. The tight ends were not as much of an issue for the Arizona Cardinals. Now, Granted, they did have a touchdown, at least, that was essentially a poor pass by Andy Dalton that should have been a touchdown. Hassan Reddick comes in a bit late, gets in the way just enough. It was a poor pass, not able to be held in, uh, hauled in by Tyler Eifert. But I did want to at least mention, because the team did give up in the very end a couple of big plays. Now, they did lose Tremaine Brock to a uh, injury. We're not sure what the extent of that is yet. Buda Baker took over, didn't have safety help. That was how one of the big tight 
I believe it was touchdowns happened at least. Yeah. Another long drive with Auden Tate catching a pass on a slant away from Byron Murphy. At one point you had three rookie defensive backs on the field between the Thompsons, Jalen, and Deontay, and also Byron Murphy on the other side, which just shows you that the Cardinals just keep seeing them DBs dropping like flies. But the there's a positive in the fact that, at least from my standpoint for the most part, it wasn't like it was a bend but don't break defense for me I honestly put a bit more of the blame on Vance Joseph in the second half because the Cardinals seem to just not get pressure with four they're rushing for a lot Bengals drove down got a touchdown and then they started to come down the field again what I noticed was that that was when Vance Joseph started to bring the all-out blitzes and this is kind of the one danger you can have is if you're running an all-out blitz but you have a zone coverage behind it as long as the quarterback, who's a veteran, is able to just get rid of the pass very quickly, he knows where his hot route is going to be, you're going to get burned by that blitz. And the Cardinals were not able to take advantage of that with Andy Dalton. He burned them on at least two occasions, and they were able to get matched up with a wide receiver on, I believe it was Jordan Hicks on one play, and then another wide receiver on a safety for the other for some big plays down the field. So I don't know how much of this, again, do you think is – is this more of a personnel issue, John? Is this just because they don't have the linebackers to keep up with guys like Jordan Hicks when teams are going to start throwing? Is this going to be more of the DC just staying stubborn in some of his ways of trying to get pressure with four and not necessarily blitzing until he feels he has to. And by that point it's too late. What were some of your thoughts on what was the fault for the defense and why this finished as a 26, 23 game rather than maybe a 26, nine game. Yeah, I think there was some complacency. I think that they felt comfortable with the lead 23 to, I believe it was nine at the time, uh, with just a little over four minutes left. Um, and they went to their prevent, uh, which, you know, say what you want. I, I don't think they expected Andy Dalton to have that kind of success right away. Um, and for once, the Bengals went to their hurry up and showed a sense of urgency. And uh, give Dalton credit and the offensive line credit, Andre Smith and some of those guys, they, they played well down the stretch. Um, but you mentioned it, Blake, the Cardinals have not consistently rushed the passer all season. Either Jones is hot or um, Suggs is hot or, or neither. They haven't brought that consistent heat that you'd like to see. And yeah, you mentioned personnel. Look, the Cardinals are counting big time on, on Jordan Hicks and Hassan Reddick and they've looked fine but they're not elite-level talents, elite-level athletes to run with receivers. And if that's what you're doing schematically, you've got a big problem. But, of course, you're probably doing that because you've got so many bodies down in your secondary. You're breaking in a fifth-round rookie tight end in Deontay Thompson. You know, Byron Murphy is being asked, and God love him, he's played well, to do a lot for a young player. I mean, most, most teams, you get Byron Murphy. Let's say a team in the late 20s would have gotten him instead of Arizona at the top of the, at the, top of the second you know, he's your nickel corner probably at best on a playoff team. Um, and I, I think he's going to be a really good player for a long time. But, the, I mean, it's, it's trial by fire. You're, you're asking him to come in right away and be, you know, on, on number one receivers every week. That's a tall task for a young player. Buda Baker I thought played well. Um, but, again, he, he doesn't have any kind of ball skills. I mean, he's a, he's a coverage safety without, without the ability to intercept a football. He doesn't have a, an interception throughout his, his young career in the NFL. So there are limitations with this defense. But again, that's why it's important for the Cardinals to be as successful and methodical as they were offensively, not just from a, a point standpoint, but when you're able to allow this defense to catch its breath and you're able to put together drives that, that encompass, you know, four, five, six, seven minutes on the play clock, 
um, it, that that's that's a recipe for success. It's when you get into trouble, like against Seattle and Carolina, when you're having three and outs back to back with with scoring drives for the opposing team, um, that that opens you up to to some big time insecurities. Cardinals do not force turnovers. They have I think two on the year. Um, and of course do not so have an last inter- team without an interception. Joe. Yeah. Do last not have an interception for this year. It is what it is. You get Patrick Peterson back in a week, um, after the Falcons game, which could get ugly defensively, but at the same time, I mean, they just don't have the bodies right now. Um, up front, I think they're fine. The back end, you're, you know, if you're going to lose and get burned, get burned with young players, um, and see where you are in, you know, four to six weeks. Uh, I, I think Deontay's going to get better. Byron Murphy's going to continue to evolve. Hopefully Buddha settles in at one specific role. And you, you could get one of the best cornerbacks in the league back along with Robert Alford. So it probably looks a lot different this time in, let's say, mid-November than it does in early October. So, uh, you know, I think most of us expected the Bengals at some point to put together a, a nice scoring drive. It, the second one was really the killer. The Cardinals, I think, went three and out or had one first down and then punted it back to the Bengals and the Bengals completed that long pass. You know, it is what it is. The NFL, I mean, it's hard to keep any team under 20 points, um, especially at home. And so, you know, at the end of the day, they, in my opinion, you get this kind of outing from them every week where they're competitive enough to allow you to, to win, which is what they did. Um, we said it before the season, the way this team was trending, a lot of their older players were on defense, and a lot of their draft picks, especially, um, you know, young players were on offense. The the arrow was going up on offense because you hired an offensive head coach. The defense, you might have to bite the bullet for a little while while you get this thing figured out. And so I, I think you live with competitive. Um, and I think we've been spoiled with the Todd Bowles efforts and the James Betcher efforts of a top five, top 10 defense for so long. The bodies aren't there. The personnel's not there. And, and you've got to downgrade a coordinator right now. You know, I'm willing to say Vance Joseph to this point um, has been, I don't know if a little bit of a disappointment, but, you know, he's not, you know, Vic Fangio. He's not, you know, what we've seen from some of these young defensive coordinators that come in and really change the game, Mike Pettin in Green Bay. But again, you look at what they've got to work with. There's just not that caliber of player on the Cardinal defense yet. So I'm willing to be patient. Um, and if I get this kind of outing every week, I'm happy because it gives the Cardinals a chance to be competitive. Yeah, I think that you're right. Part of what I think made a huge difference was being able to hold the team to a few field goals. We didn't see that previously against Seattle and previously against the Panthers. What is at least probably evident of that to me in some regard is that it was the Bengals that you were playing. They, uh, there was one play call. I don't know that there was the – we mentioned earlier, Kingsbury had a play call where it was about, I want to say maybe some 20-something seconds left or so. Clock was counting down. They threw a swing pass a screen essentially to Larry Fitzgerald. The Bengals had three DBs over there. And a great tackle was made short of the of the line to gain to get a touchdown of Fitzgerald. But because of that, it ended up being where the clock was counting down. Cliff took the credit right afterwards going into the half where a lot of people are like, why didn't – if you throw it into the end zone, the ball either gets caught, it gets picked at least. In that case, well, you know, it's not – you at least threw it. It's just an interception. Either it happens or it was poor. Or it gets knocked down and you've got a chance to go back and be able to throw it again one or two more times. They – Fortunately, don't end up uh, suffering from it. They are able to spike the ball with one second left. It was still a question that a lot of people have wondered about if this is more of a trend that we're going to see that will continue throughout the whole season. I do think that, thinking back for me, I don't think this will be the case because a lot of what we have seen is that it's not that this team has zero you know, red zone, touchdown, zero two-point conversions looking lost out there. 
it just seems like they're not currently scheming or being able to find a sort of identity in the red zone outside of when Murray can run the football or when they're close enough that they can just hand it off and David Johnson can practically walk in. The passing game in the red zone still seems to be having issues. On the other hand, as far as play calls go, the Cardinals, I think, were redeemed in two big ways. The first one was the bizarre play call that Zach Taylor had on fourth and fourth and one where everyone's like, oh, it's just going to be a quarterback sneak. Dave Pash on the radio is saying it's going to be a quarterback sneak. Instead of handing it off to Joe Mixon, instead of quarterback sneaking it, they do some weird type of almost like a QB power where he ends up running with the ball after the fact. Hassan Reddick runs for it, blows up the play right away. The Bengals had been driving. We're probably about to get into Cardinals territory. It was a huge play because the Cardinals took over just on the edge of Bengals territory. We're able to, I believe, uh, if not get a field goal, at least able to move the ball back a bit where it didn't cost them points. That was, to me, one of those areas where you look at what's going on with the Bengals and Zach Taylor, and I don't want to sound like like it's too biased over here, but as far as I know, a lot of people talked about this was the Friends of Sean McVay Bowl. This is kind of the bowl where you're going to see these two head coaches who people felt didn't really deserve the title were going to be squaring off with these two winless teams. Coming out of that game, it's really hard for those who would have at least watched it to be able to see that on one hand, you've got the Bengals kind of scrounging around trying to figure out where they are, and perhaps you have to burn it down. But there still seemed to be at least a lot more confidence that I would have coming out of that game in Kingsbury than I would have at least in Taylor, running a lot of the same things we've seen with McVay. And part of that perhaps is just the ability to adapt. And despite the fact that maybe you've got two controversial calls, ultimately the second thing that I feel like that the Bengals did was I said this to my mom at the time the, when we were watching the, uh, the game with my family. It's like, hey, Cardinals, like, maybe you just let them score here. You take the ball back, drive down, get a field goal, and end it because the Bengals looked like they were clicking in the two-minute drill. It was driving down the field. It's like, hey, if they score at least for that one and give the Cardinals enough time, that might be the best-case scenario. As a result, they score on a big touchdown, score too soon. Cardinals get, I believe, a full uh, two-minute warning plus to be able to work with, plus all their timeouts. They just marched down the field right away, are able to put it away with a clutch Kyler Murray 24-yard run. Uh, credit to DJ Humphreys. It was a big improvement from um, seeing two weeks ago against the Panthers where he was not able to hold on to his guy, whether that was effort, whether that was just the edge rusher. Kyler had lanes where he could run between the left tackle and the left guard and scamper for big downs. When it was man coverage downfield, no one had him. They were just rushing four guys. Everyone's in man coverage. He was able to scamper and make one of those big plays. It's kind of why you have the cheat code in him. So credit to that for DJ Humphreys. Credit to the Cardinals. And like you said, John, there was a lot of confidence that I had, at least, that the Cardinals were going to be able to win that game. And that's something that I don't think Cardinals fans have felt for uh, for a while just because it, it, this is a game that I felt that the 2018 Cardinals, even in that situation, they may have found some sort of way to screw it up is how I felt. Yeah, no doubt. I think they would have committed some kind of, you know, bonehead turnover. This team doesn't turn the ball over, and that's a credit to the young quarterback. Yeah, he's got four interceptions on the season, but he's on pace for, I think, like 12 to 13. He carries the ball exceptionally well as a runner. Um, David Johnson, historically, is not a big fumbler. Uh, I just I, – I don't think Larry Fitzgerald's fumbled. I think they sat on the broadcast for like four or five years. So, I mean, it's just – this team, to me, is playing smarter. Yes, they need to cut down the penalties, but I think a lot of those, especially the two on Humphreys, are ticky-tack, and, and they're trying to cut that down across, across the NFL. But you know, I will say it's, just, it's refreshing to watch them operate 
a drive and the creativity that they show um, because you know at the end of the day they're going to move the football. They've been moving the football outside of those first couple quarters against Detroit consistently since then. Now, they haven't been able to punch it in nearly enough, but you talk about all the opportunities. I think they, they – I saw a statistic today. They're, they're eighth in scoring drives, and that, of course, includes field goals. But they're top ten in scoring drives after adding seemingly nothing other than a new quarterback who's a rookie – and a new head coach who's a rookie NFL head coach, coordinator or, or whatever. He's never been an NFL coach before. That, that, I'm impressed by that. I think that if you would have told me before this season this is the kind of statistics they'd be putting up in the first quarter, quarter and a half of the NFL season, I would have taken this all day because I think at the end of the day, we had to be realistic on the, on the limitations that this team has offensively. Offensive line – you know, DJ having a, a bounce back year after what was a disappointing campaign last year, you know, utilizing a lot of these young players at receiver. Um, they just, they were trying to bring in receivers throughout the duration of camp, you know, keep Christian Kirk goes down, you know, you bring in Farrell Cooper on short, on short rest or, and, and he immediately is involved in the game plan because of the familiarity with your offense. Um, you know, Michael Crabtree doesn't work out. They, they've dealt with a lot of adversity. But I will give them credit. This the, the new maturation of this team, specifically from a running standpoint, you're able to put up 200 yards and, and push people around. That's, that's not something we're accustomed to from seeing from this team. And if they're able to consistently do that, then you're talking about this, this season could turn fast in a hurry. Maybe not from a win perspective, but from a confidence perspective going into next year. Um, because we saw the opposite happen last year where the young quarterback that the Cardinals um, deemed as their, their future got worse because they failed to protect him and they had no resemblance of a running game or a passing game. The, the Cardinals may hopefully are able to do the opposite this season. Yes, to- totally agree with that, John. Uh, there's optimism abounding. It usually always is after a win. Um, it's worth noting the Cardinals are still ranked in the bottom 10 of the NFL teams, at least for the most part. They do have a 1-3-1 and one record. Um, we'll talk a bit in our next episode, just previewing at least the Falcons game, a little bit more of what we're seeing from this team, uh, especially with some of their needs moving forward. I did want to kind of wrap up this episode just because as we kind of began, we mentioned that this was a really tragic week for the Cardinals ownership group and a lot of the team as well um, with the passing of Bill Bidwell. Um, obviously, he passed away at, I believe, was 88 years old. And there's a lot at least to be said about, uh, about Bill. Um, he was known best for his bow ties. Um, just looking at least for that one with how his father, Charles Bidwell, bought the Cardinals for uh, $50,000, which would be about in today's money, uh, according to this article, uh, under a million dollars, 900000 or so. Um, he was a Navy man, as well as the fact that uh, apparently, from what a lot of people reported at the time, that um, they inherited the team, at least for the most part, from their mother. It was kind of unknown for a lot of aspects that they didn't know that they were adopted until it was disclosing Corpheather's stepfather. There was also a lot of pain. His wife passed away in 2016. And uh, Cardinals were unable to, of course, sign Joe Namath in 1965. Perhaps the fortunes change. And there's a lot of things, at least as far as with charity, with a lot of his work, with a lot of his faith that Bill had to his credit. There's also a lot of fans who really had a difficult time with Bill Bidwell. A lot of players who did too. There was a lot. I know of uh, people who talked about were complained that they weren't paid enough. There was uh, different stories that we had. I remember one story someone shared about how 
Uh, the team during their time in Arizona, they were just not able to spend money, at least to an aspect, to be able to replace players' socks if they had holes or things that were torn into it. So there's a lot of things that you look at where it's not really just a black or a white. There's a lot of gray area that seems to sum up everyone in life at some point for the most part. Um, they did at least get to see the team have one championship in 1947 and the other Super Bowl victory. There was just a lot of pain that you saw for a lot of fans. Um, what you did end up seeing was the insight to take a team out of St. Louis, not having to secure a bigger stadium, moving to Tempe, Arizona for a 10-year lease at Sun Devil Stadium, basically taking football to the desert. And in that aspect, John, that's how a lot of people ultimately became fans of the Cardinals and became not yeah. just the Phoenix Cardinals, but the Arizona Cardinals at least. And there's other areas I know at least where you talk about someone who's from that generation. There's sometimes there's going to be bound to have differences you'll have towards places and minorities at least. I'm sure there's going to be true of probably a big difference from every generation. There still was a lot of positives Bill did where he did hire minority employees. They had the first ever African-American pairing of Denny Green with Rod Graves. So there's a lot of things that you have, at least for the most part, with football. Ultimately, you have a guy who, for the most part, stayed out of the limelight, stayed out of the spotlight, um, loved football, loved the team, and uh, his the thoughts and prayers that we'll have, at least for us and a lot of Cardinals family, are with uh, Michael and the rest of his team. Um, and that was why, for me, it was one of those you-got-to-win-this-game type of moments for the Cardinals, just for that emotional moment you have being able to see post-game of – Cliff being able to hand a game ball to Michael um, in honor of winning that game for uh, Dave Paschett winning one for Mr. B and Michael in turn being able to take the first Cardinals victory of this new kind of experimental enough to a choppy start era with Cliff Kingsbury in town and being able to hand another game ball back over to him. So what were some of your thoughts at least on Bill Bidwell as we wrap up for tonight's episode, John? Yeah, I'm, I'm from the Midwest and I know his, their family history and predominantly St. Louis um, asking the local government um, to help them build a stadium. If you don't know, the Cardinals used to play at Bush Stadium, where the St. Mm -hmm. Louis baseball Cardinals used to play, and um, team was historically uh, irrelevant. They they had struggled. The baseball Cardinals, of course, are baseball royalty, and they shared a stadium. And Bill wanted his own stadium. He wanted the taxpayers to pay for it, and said, "Give us an opportunity. Help us." lure free agents here and the, the local government uh, shut it down. They said, no, we're going to you know, ask you that you continue to share the stadium with St. Louis, the Cardinals. And so that's why Bill opted to leave among other reasons. Um, and then it wasn't until I believe the, the late nineties until the, the, the team, the town got the uh, LA Rams and built them the Edward Jones dome. Um, and then the Cardinals kind of, were left high and dry until 2006 when Bill and his son Michael got the, the what was formerly known as University of Phoenix Stadium uh, built and now State Farm Stadium. So he, he had worked a long time in getting this franchise their own stadium. It's a lot harder, I guess, than people realize and I realized to, to get that done. Um, but he, he had a vision. Um, he made some some really nice decisions, uh, especially from a, a coaching standpoint. It was that he was ahead of his time. Uh, with a lot of decisions and, and tried to remedy a lot of errors of um, previous family members that had owned the team. And I'll, I'll give him credit for that. Um, I think the best decision he made was was handing over leadership uh, duties to his son, Michael Bidwell. This team has seen a resurgence um, from a national pers perspective since his, his son has taken over in 2006. Um, and he led his son, even though he was still the chairman, uh, Michael has been acting president for a good amount of time now. The, the team has accumulated 
multiple division titles, multiple playoff appearances, and NFC championship um, in, in 2008. And that's because Bill had the, the wherewithal and the foresight to allow that to happen. And you look at some of these owners, specifically what took place in Oakland with their leadership up until the, to, to the bitter end there. And, and thankfully, we didn't have to deal with that in Arizona. So I, I'm thankful for Bill that he had enough self-awareness to say, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to step aside because I've got a really bright son that, that is business savvy is going to be able to, to raise this team up and help me get the stadium built. So uh, of course, at the end of the day, he brought the Cardinals to Arizona and still looking for that, that first Super Bowl victory, but they have had a, specifically since the two thousands have begun a lot of great moments and compared to other teams. And it's sad that he was unable to, to stay alive long enough to see this championship eventually happen when it does happen. But, you know, the 2018 hoisting that, that NFC championship trophy with his son, um, with Rod, with Ken Wisenhunt, with Kurt Warner, um, I think is a, is a pretty good parting gift, Blake. So prayers to the, the entire Bedwell family moving forward. And that'll wrap it up for this episode here of the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Thank you all again so much for uh, joining us. Um, make sure that you do like and subscribe if you, this is your first time listening. We'd love to hear your feedback, at least if you have to drop a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we're also available on Spotify. Uh, you can look for us on, I believe it's Google Play, Google Podcasts, as well as other podcast sites like TuneIn Radio, Himalaya. Uh, wherever the major podcast streaming sites are, you'll be able to find us there. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. This has been the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We'll see you guys in a few days with our preview episode of the Atlanta Falcons coming to town.